With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Whiteley. Good morning. A few things that have flashed across the radar, at least one literally. So without meaning to scaremonger at the start of the day, there's a cyclone brewing in the Bay of Bengal, which is feared will make landfall near Calcutta on Thursday, jeopardizing, jeopardizing Australia's World Cup semi-final at Eden Gardens. Now, any other sports would probably explore the possibility of moving the game to a safer haven, given the many choices at this tournament in India. There's a cyclone coming. We can't really have crowds coming to a sporting stadium in such conditions, so let's move the game elsewhere. But that's not how cricket works. So rather than merely obsessing over whether the selectors should choose Manus Labashain or Marcus Stoinis for the knockout game, we are now left to endlessly study forecasts and wonder whether Australia will even get the chance to qualify for the final at all. There is a reserve day on Friday for the semi-final, but the forecast seems to get worse rather than better. It could be the cruelest fate to play six weeks of cricket, build momentum and anticipation and then get washed out when it matters most. Can you think of a recent example when a game of epic consequence was forecast to be washed out and ultimately was? Thwarting a team from its ultimate ambition and causing them to cry a river? Uh, Manchester, anyone? The echoes of 1999 run through this campaign. Australia tied with South Africa in the semi-final to advance. South Africa will feel no guilt if it's their turn to progress without winning. If you are studying the Indian Weather Bureau, do stay in touch. And if you've found the definitive app, you know where to send it. There'll be club cricketers everywhere who have become expert weather watchers through the years. 0433 98 11 16 to share your thoughts. On a football front, how deeply intriguing that the Western Bulldogs have turned to revered administrator Peter Jackson in November as a fresh set of eyes ahead of what shapes as a crunch season in 2024. Within the club, the dogs know they are underachieving. The president and the chief executive have been unequivocal that the team should be challenging for the top four, not missing the eight. Equally unequivocal has been their support for Luke Beveridge, emphasised by the decision last summer to extend his contract. Since their season ended, the internal review has been intense. I think we know just enough on the outside to garner that and the widespread change well that has swept through the men's program it's a proven course of action when you're sticking resolute with your senior coach the key decisions have been made and the guard changed and now Jackson comes in so the timing is fascinating if you bring him in say in August you risk inconvenient findings to bring Jackson in now suggests a systems check a final look over everything to ensure that things are in order so that two things can happen. The first and the most desirable is that success can be achieved. And the second is that judgment can ultimately be cast. If the dogs fulfill their promise and rise to the top four, this process will have been a familiar catalyst to make the right change rather than the drastic one. But 
If the dogs again languish with everything perfectly in order by an independent assessment, the responsibility will rest with the coach. It's a high stakes season ahead. Judgment Day is coming at the Western Bulldogs. My query on this is, is this not just a review um, of Luke Beveridge? Jared, I mean, how can you review the football department staff when they're all new? They haven't, they haven't worked a day, some of them. So this is just another review of the coach, is it not? I mean, but they're all, how could you review the off-field operations when the old ones are gone and the new ones haven't started? Well, this is an off-field, so it has to be directed solely at, at Luke Beveridge. And then maybe that's, maybe that's fair and maybe that's where the club is at. I don't quite think that's it, but I think ultimately that will be the outcome. I think this feels like a systems check. We've made all these changes. We brought the new guard in. Are we set up for success by an independent assessment? And then we'll either be successful or we won't and we'll know where responsibility lies. High stakes 2024 coming for the Western Bulldogs. 0433 98 11 16 to share your thoughts. one 736 736 as we go. Just the last one on my radar. I see in racing that the All-Star Mile has dropped the public vote to select the field. The very gimmick on which the pop-up race was conceived. When this was announced in a blaze of publicity by Racing Victoria those five years ago, the two horses it was built for were Winx and the Autumn Sun. And the $5 million pool lured neither. At the price, the race has been a failure. At the price. The quirk of the public vote was to create community campaigns to qualify horses that were ultimately anything but all-stars. And that was the inherent contradiction. The people had fun with the voting concept and the administrators didn't really like the race that resulted. They spent all this time building safeguards in so that they could more or less have the race that they wanted and still have the quirk on the side. The honour roll is perfectly respectable through the first five years. Mystic Journey, Regal Power, Mugatu, Zaki, Mr. Brightside. But that's the result of throwing bucket loads of money at it. But once you abandon the foundation principle, I just can't for the life of me think what the point of the race is anymore. Surely the millions are better invested in actual Group 1 races that owners and trainers won't be able to resist on two fronts. See, the only flaw with the Volandis strategy is his races have millions, but no status. Victoria could throw the millions at the races with status rather than a pop-up with no standing and no gimmick anymore. Leave the push-ups, leave the pop-ups to push ahead Pete. I don't reckon they suit us in Victoria. So a key component is that the vote is no longer going to be a part of the race. Why has that been removed? There's a couple of reasons for that. And you see that we're going to increase the field size from 15 to 16. The public vote removed. There's two reasons, as I said. One is to try and simplify and give more certainty to trainers and connections as to whether they're going to get a start or not. So one of the bits of feedback that we took on board was if I'm not in the race via the public vote, it's then quite uncertain as to whether I'm going to get a start. It's quite hard to uh, anchor a preparation around. So removing that and going to a combination of winning your in-races, and there'll be eight winning your in-races, and then wild cards for the balance of the field allows us to give certainty to trainers so they can then plan their preparation. We didn't really like the public vote because it didn't give us the field that we wanted, so the gimmick was a gimmick. I reckon the millions are better spent on your actual races with status and maybe push off 
the pop-ups and leave them to Pete. I'm starting with Pete. Hello, Peter Lawler. Welcome. Good morning, Jared. Now, these are the texts I want. Ross in Majura has texted through AccuWeather app. So I only want optimistic apps. For cold cutter Thursday, 27 degrees, cloudy and sunny, 2% chance of rain. I don't want to hear anything about cyclones brewing in the Bay of Bengal. No, no, no. I'm with you, Jared. I went through the apps this morning and I decided I'd read Malcolm Conn in the Fairfax papers. He was the voice of doom. But no, you, you can find some apps that actually say it's going to be all right on uh, on Thursday. And uh, our man, Daniel Cherney, he's over there. He reckons it's going to be all right. So essentially it's Con versus Cherney on this one. <laughs> the obsession <laughs> the, the of weather. The integrity of these two journalists <laughs> is at stake. Every club cricketer knows these couple of days, the obsession with weather watching to see what's about to unfold. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Jared. It's uh, it's just one of those things. That we'll be all up watching that. But, of course, there's a, there's a game tonight to whet our appetite, isn't there? Uh, Wednesday night, yeah, yeah. So we're we're we've got to get one more day through to get to India's semi-final. Oh, apologies, Jared. I'm, I, it's only Tuesday. Yes. Really if if we did get completely scuppered by rain in the worst case scenario, we would have to be we would have to be careful not to complain too much, wouldn't we? Given recent history. I think I think we'd wear that one on the chin, wouldn't we? <laughs> Given everything that's happened to South Africa, it's very interesting, isn't it? I was actually listening to um, Crash and Cherney talking about it on a uh, whatever those things are that people do these days podcast, possibly um, talking about whether the history actually matters. Uh, Crash was backing, you know, the weight of history. It was a ball and chain. Cherney's going, nah. None of these kids played in 99. I mean, were any of them there in 2015? Uh, it's, it, I love this. I love I love all the, all the the genuine history that goes into it, but also the, the immediate history and, and the sort of momentum we've seen through this World Cup campaign. I know I say it every time I come on, Joe, but and, and maybe it's because I'm not there at the typewriter, but I'm loving this World yeah. Cup from the couch. Yeah. So I am a believer that these things live in the walls. I've seen enough sport. I've seen enough football teams grappling with the history and the burden that isn't theirs but does belong to their environment. It lives in the walls, I reckon, until you conquer it. I think I think it is something for South Africa. Yeah. Yeah, well, I hope it is something for South Africa and – <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget watching that that game in um, 2015. It was over in New Zealand, wasn't it, it was. Jared? Hey, and uh, I most enjoyed watching uh, Ros Kelly's face in the crowd, Mrs. Mornay Morkel, sitting along uh, Danny De Villiers, I think uh, she was sitting next to, and the look of horror on their face. And then there was a shot. I don't know if anyone goes back to uh, to have a look at this uh, this game. And, in fact, have you caught up with this gold TV? It's on um, that Cricket Australia have got at the moment. It's a constant streaming of old matches. It's only on the Samsung platform at the moment. Right. It's a free TV channel. But it's the complete Cricket Australia archives as a TV channel. Wow. They have di- – you might have – Jared, I wrote about this two weeks ago. They have digitalised every game that's ever been recorded in Australia on the ABC, on 7, on 9, on 10, on God knows what. Uh, they've put it all in there. It's an incredible database, and it just runs constantly now. Uh, 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 in the first place, it's on Samsung 
on the Samsung TV app, but eventually it will be available much more widely. I think it's some new thing called Fast Channel. Perhaps you're across across that new medium, Jared. Wow! No, this is this is news to me. Yeah. Well, what what have you seen that's grabbed you? Oh, I don't know. I kind of just love tuning back into those old mercantile mutual cup games <laughs> and, you know, those grainy things and you look at it and you look at the way we used to be, Jared. But um, what was I, where was I? Oh, I was back at that uh, game in 2015 in New Zealand and uh, I think when I saw the look on the South Africans' faces was, God, we've done it again. It was one of those moments in sport that the camera captured perfectly, absolutely perfectly. Have to, have to, have to, have to win the toss, Jared. Yes, yes, and it, that plays such a big role in where the pressure lies in these games. What's at stake for Australia in in your mind? So Tim Payne was unequivocal yesterday. He said Parr is winning these tournaments for Australia. Gee, yeah, that's a, that's a high standard to set, isn't it? Yep. I think I think they've achieved. Um, they've well, yeah that. The very minimum they've achieved. We expect them to make the finals, don't we? Uh, I would forgive them. It, it, it's these are these one-off games are very difficult games to win, and there are a couple of teams in there. You know, the teams are in they're in very rude health, and I would argue that on paper, South Africa is a better team than Australia in this tournament. Certainly, that uh, they've got the edge in the bowling stakes. I'm, I'm, you know, if Australia have any concerns. It's around their bowling, so I don't take I don't take Tim's attitude to it. I look at what they've got on paper at the moment and how they're going, and how they're going at the moment is Stark's got ten wickets at forty three, Cummins has got ten at forty, and Hazelwood's got twelve at thirty. Um, to get this far with your three leading pacemen, uh, to borrow a phrase from Mitchell Stark overnight, hanging on, I think is a good achievement. It's a very good achievement, and people have stood up, particularly the batters have stood up when needed, and Adam Zampras stood up too. But South Africa have had a way better, way better uh, tournament, I would say. Um, if you look at Kutzia, I mean, he's been outstanding. He's got 18 wickets at less than 20. Um, another one of those stories where he probably wasn't even playing the World Cup. He probably wasn't even in the squad if Norkia was fit. But they've also got also got Jansen, Rabada, Mah- the spinner Maharaj, and they've got Nagidi too if they want him. So they've got an outstanding – I think they've got the edge over Australia. Watching Mitch Stark, listening to Mitch Stark, has he got the performance that Australia needs in him? He does, but will he produce it at this World Cup? Because yep. he hasn't yet, has he? Um as I said, you got. I hope I said well, you win the toss, you bat first, because you know the the premium bowling conditions are under lights, and that's when the ball has swung. But that's one of those things with Starkey, and and it's come and gone in waves over the years, hasn't it? And I think he's been in outstanding form the last three years, but until this World Cup, where mm. he's just off a little. It's just that thing. I mean, you probably can. Technical people could explain it about where his arm is or where his wrist is. But when the ball's not swinging for him, he doesn't do that well. What are you hearing in the the choice between Manus and Marcus? Will it be Labashain or Stoinis in this team? Uh, 
Shane, in the cricket team are the three certainties in life, aren't they, Jared? Could you just start just start that thought again, Pete? You just dropped out. Sorry, yeah, I'm having a technical issue here <laughs> in this right. shed. Have you got me now? Yeah, I've got you. Yeah, death, taxes, and Marnus Labashain somehow finding a way to worm his way into the 11. Yep. They're the three certainties in life at the moment. Um, everybody seems to be leaning towards Marnus. I think I think he's done enough to warrant a place with what he's got, but is that what the selectors want? I think he really made a statement with that fielding in the most recent game, um, but let's not forget that wasn't a one-off. Um, his fielding was critical in the, in the final stages of that game against New Zealand where they hung on up, in, up at altitude. Um, I'm pushing him in there. I was, and Ponting's been putting this out lately too, I feel like... Stoinis has probably missed a little bit of a trick in that I thought that they were shaping up to use him at the top of the innings, you know, to open with him. And we haven't seen it this World Cup. And gee, it'd be a funky move in a final to do it. So, yeah, I'm leaning towards Marnus in that team. It would be the, it would really be the only way to justify Stoinis's selection, but it would be a hell of a change of tactics right at the end. It's not really. I don't. It's not really how you would do it in a semi-final, is it? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. Okay. I like the flexibility that they've got. Let's go and have a look at the wicket. I think that the final two games. I don't reckon you're going to get those big three hundred plus scores. Um, so I think it's going to be a little more difficult to bat. Uh, it is definitely going to be more difficult to bat against the uh, South African and Indian bowlers. I mean, the Indian bowlers have been absolutely outstanding this tour and uh, this um, tournament. And surprisingly, it's their seamers who've done all the damage. Um, in those scenarios, you want Marnus Labuschagne, who is better against the moving ball. But uh, I'm a belt and braces guy, Jared. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want him in the team, do you? No, I do. I flipped my position. Yep. Oh, you have? Yep. Yep. I like the um, – Labashain and Smith are the same batter, or their numbers are uncannily similar, but they, they're not using Stoinis. So I'll take – I didn't think I wanted two insurance policies, but there's a cyclone brewing. It turns out I want two insurance policies. I'd, I'll take the heavy-duty batting at three, at four and five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is that. Um, there, there's a cigarette paper, isn't there, really? But uh, as the same batter, they're like twins, those two. I think their highest score in the tournament is 71. Yep. Their average is, you know, almost exactly the same. The only difference, and it's the it's the one knock on Marnus, and it's it's the one thing that might see him uh, lose his position in the side, is the strike rate. And Marnus is 77, I think, and Smith's is 88. Um, yeah. That has been the knock on him, but, I mean, he was dragged down by one innings where he really did have to anchor as well. Did you read that amusing piece about um, Pat Cummins blowing up, <laughs> destroying his strike rate the other night? I did. <laughs> I did. Because he was he, he had it flying, didn't he? And then he does the team thing and he pays the price in his numbers. <laughs> yeah, you quite pick Pat Cummins as the guy doing comedy routines in the uh, – Technical problems here. Uh, got you back. Yep. I, someone keeps stepping on my ventilator tube. Um, <laughs> you don't pick Pat Cummins as the comedian in the dressing room, but it goes to an important point, I think, around Pat Cummins' captaincy and the way that this team has performed in this World Cup is that um, they all know they're good enough and they're all given enough space 
to be as good as they are. Um, it's an adult team in an adult environment, um, and you, you uh, Dan Chernier um, brought this up recently, and I thought it was a very good point. I had a few people, a few senior former Australian cricketers say to me, what happened with uh, Glenn Maxwell's outrageous, you know? They've been drinking beer and he's fallen off the back of a golf cart. And I thought, it's kind of funny attitude to take, fellas, you know? Aren't they allowed to go out and have a couple of beers? And I mean, and play a bit of golf and maybe have, I don't know if they had one beer too many, but what sort of wowsers are we that we don't allow them that sort of thing? Sure, we'd prefer that Glenn Maxwell didn't fall off the back of golf carts, but you know, I don't think, Glenn Maxwell needs the help of a couple of beers to fall off the back of a golf cart. He can do that. He he can get himself into trouble uh, no matter what. But it comes to that point that that it's an adult team, that it's comfortable with with itself and its own skills, and they back themselves. And Mitch Marsh said this the other day. That's the message in the team. You're good enough. You can do this. And the times they fail is when they when they stop believing that they're good enough. We're learning this morning. So here's what we've got, Pete. I'll pick up with you in a moment. Just walked into the lounge room and chucked on Cricket Gold and the Samsung TV. Renegades versus Stars playing Tate and Afridi in the side. Oh, yeah. And I have a Samsung TV. They have a thing called Samsung TV Plus, which is about 40 specialist channels, all for free. Crime channels, war history, music. There's even a Baywatch channel. The Cricket Channel is a new addition and is awesome. Samsung TV mobile app is not available in Australia yet. It's only on TVs. David from Glen Waverley. I've got two Samsung TVs. That's my whole afternoon. All right. That's my whole afternoon figuring that out. After this, after this plug, Jared, I reckon you'll have four. (laughs) Uh, Pete, I'll pick up with you in a moment. Our World Cup chats are for Henley Homes. Henley, new seven-star house designs with dropped prices. Now, back to Waitley. For all those nervous weather watchers, a couple of thoughts. Sam's text through. If the cricket is abandoned with South Africa going through to the final, however much it may hurt, we as Aussies should take it on the chin and show England cricket how to behave in a setback. That'll be Friday morning's sentiment, Sam. Gavin from Albury, I especially like this. This is the same feeling I had during my many winter seasons up at Mount Hotham. We would roll through the various forecasts and pick the website or app that was the best and then tell all the guests it would be a stunning day on the slopes. That's nice, Gavin. And Mozza from Cobden, a Baywatch channel and a cricket channel. I'm off to good guys. <laughs> Peter Lawler, we're just yarning with Peter Lawler on this, uh, on this Tuesday morning. Hey, Pete, um, Patrick Smith passed away and we remembered uh, him yesterday. You've written a beautiful piece in The Australian Today. So a long-term colleague of yours. Um, just share a thought or two with us about Patrick. Look, Jared, I, I, when, I, when I came into sports journalism, Patrick was well-established and, uh, and had just come on board as the, uh, as the chief columnist, sports writer for The Australian. And... He was the doyen. I looked at Patrick Smith and I thought, that is how you do it. That is what you aspire to. I never, I never had the moral fortitude or the strength that Patrick had. He was, he's such a fearless, opinionated, um, articulate, funny uh, guy. Jared, six columns, a thousand plus words a week. Now, I, I noticed a few people in our comment section saying, oh, I stopped reading him after he wrote this about Port Adelaide in 1989, and I stopped this. But 
you're going to have some bad columns when you put out six a week, you, um, you, especially when you do it for that long. Patrick had very, very few bad columns. Um, and, yeah, very sad to see him pass. I, I don't think we'll ever have a sports writer as great as and as significant as Patrick Smith was. Again, I think that he kind of – you woke up in Victoria um, – and you read, Patrick, to see which way the wind was blowing, particularly with the AFL and your beloved sport, Jared, racing. Um, but uh, even with cricket, when he when he had when I heard that he died, I looked back at my uh, phone just to see what was the last conversation we had, and it was from Friday, twenty one July at one forty one p.m. That's uh, England time, so it would have been the middle of the night there. Ten befuddled cricketers led by a witless captain. <laughs> <laughs> well said, Patrick. <laughs> might that have been Manchester? It, it might. It might well have been. Um, there was a great. There was a great story that popped up somewhere about because Patrick was a fast bowler for Paran, yeah. and and Demon who may have gone a little bit too far once and actually run through a batsman, I believe. <laughs> but he got invited to bowl in the nets against India. Have you heard this story before, Jared? No, no. And he, he was tearing in and pelting them down. And Patrick tells the story himself. It's a self-deprecating story. It's a batsman who could have been um, um, the Indian captain, Sunil Gavaskar, looked at him and said... Uh, Patrick, have you got a have you got a quick ball? <laughs> <laughs> and I think he knew then. <laughs> I think that's when he went and applied for a cadetship at the Herald Sun, where you started. Yes, yes. He, he was a towering figure to all of us young journos, wasn't he? He absolutely was. So he's been well remembered. And Ron Barassi was sent off at the MCG on Friday. I know you would have had an eye there. What what moved you in particular from the Barassi State Funeral? Uh, oh, lots of things. I thought it was beautifully done. Um, you know, you won't hear me say too many positive things about Eddie Maguire, but I'll say that he did a really good job with this. Well done, Ed. Um, uh, I, I was outstanding to see Brent Tr Tiger Croswell come out of hiding. Uh, how often have we seen Brent Croswell in the last 30 years? I think that's the second time. And the only other time I saw him come out of hiding was he agreed to a uh, a meeting with me in a corner, in a dark corner of a hotel in Hobart, to talk about Ron Brassie. He said it's the only thing that that actually gets him out of the house. You know, like the only thing that got him out off the couch was finals football. Yep. He wanted to pay tribute to the great man Brassie, and he did it in that inimitable Crosswell style. Very moved by Ron Brassie the third. I, I don't want to call him Ron Brassie the third. I want Ron's son. <laughs> Brassie, there shouldn't be a Ron Brassie the third. It's just a bit too noble. I thought it was a wonderful take on that. That that bit that none of us saw of you know, what it was like to have Ron Brassy as a dad. He said, you know, um, what, did, what did he say? He, you imagine, um, you know, he said, imagine all those chess games, all those tennis games. You never beat Ron. It was so <laughs> difficult having a dad called Ron Brassy. You know, that was the question he asked. Have you ever tried to beat Ron Brassy? And I think everybody in that audience, everyone who knew him personally, thought, yeah, <laughs> yep, not even his kids would have yep. got a break. Pete, beautiful. Lovely to chat on this Tuesday. Enjoy these semifinals. I'll catch up with you shortly. And thanks for telling me it's Tuesday, Jerry. No worries. Actually, hang hang there one tick. I want to read this to you. I'm miles late here, but this got sent through yesterday, and you'll yeah. like this. Um, sorry, I should have been better prepared. Andrew sent this through. 
I'm the president of the Phillip Island Cricket Club and would like to tell you a quick story about our C-grade skipper, Mick Cleary. He is currently on a 16-toss losing streak, which stretches over three seasons now and includes two winning premierships. He was running a bit late on Saturday, received a call from the Leon Gather skipper to do the toss over the phone. He had already tossed the coin in front of one of our other players, called Mick and gave him the choice, and yep, you guessed it, he called wrong. Thought you might like to share this one with Pete. I haven't heard of a streak this bad. <laughs> I knew I thought you'd like that at the end. <laughs> Nor have I ever heard of anyone phoning in for the toss. <laughs> phoning in the toss. We'll have to run Sorry, that past Ken Gilly would have loved that idea. <laughs> Pete, lovely. Thank you. I'm late. Uh, our World Cup cricket chats are for Henley's new home designs. We drop prices, all the luxuries, and now seven star energy efficiency. Here's Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. Among your messages, 40 Wings Temper Text 0433981116. Temper a mattress like no other. Jared, this is a line in the sand for the dogs. We are wasting the Bont's years. And if we don't do something now, his legacy will not reach the heights it should. While it's not an individual sport, he is a once-in-a-generation player. The intrigue of Peter Jackson being brought in to review matters in November once the guard has entirely changed and the methodology in behind that. Uh, the NRL draw was released yesterday. The AFL draw is coming, we believe, on Thursday. They each have implications to each other, and I sense an anti-Melbourne conspiracy in the NRL draw, so we better reach across the divide next, I think. This is Waitley for the all-new Hyundai Kona, imagined to be bold and host plus. Waitley on SEN. Penrith have been the benchmark team of the competition for the last three years. Obviously, with Storm, we've won the last four premierships, so um, it's going to be a big build-up. Uh, they'll be going over to play in the World Club Challenge, so hopefully if there's any ever a good time to get Penrith, it's in round one here at Amy Park, a big Friday night game with our home crowd. But, uh, yeah, there's no doubt that round one... Uh, that round one record will certainly be tested against the Panthers. It is one of the great streaks in Australian sport. Craig Bellamy unbeaten in round one for the duration of his NRL coaching career. This is probably his last season in 2024. So what did the NRL do? They pitted Melbourne Storm against the all-conquering Penrith Panthers. Do you sniff a bit of a Sydney conspiracy there? So let, let's reach across oh, the divide, shall we, with Andrew Voss. Hello, Vossy. Oh, it's great to be back. What, what are you trotting out there, Jerry? You're just stirring trouble. You're a you-know-what stirrer. So I think By you, I that. think the yep. honchos in Sydney yep. don't want it eternal that Craig yep. Bellamy never got beaten in round one. Yeah, so they fixed him but, up. Look, it's... And you know, Jared, I live in the world of statistics. I mean, I am in a room of stats. I am a rugby league stats nerd. That is one statistic. While I hail it to a degree, I don't sort of hang on and say that's one of the greatest ever. Because truth of the matter is, Melbourne did one year lose their first game of the season, but they had a bye in round one. So there is a little caveat with that one, okay? So I'm saying it's not, it's not all as it reads exactly. Now, as for the draw, I think um, Melbourne, uh, of all the clubs, and, and I have referred to all our listeners on The Breakfast Show this morning as professors because you had to be a professor of maths and, and, and the way it's worked out. It's a mystery, Jared, that there is so many... Things that just don't make sense. Why teams play each other twice before some teams play each other once. Like, that's the basic. Why some teams may have three and four, five-day turnarounds during the season, and that has an impact, and others have none. Why some teams that, you know, 
uh, Leichhardt Oval, you know, one of the spiritual homes of the West Tigers. It is fated that one of the great days out is a Sunday afternoon game at Leichhardt Oval. Do the Tigers have any Sunday games at Leichhardt Oval next year? None. How does, how does that happen? How, how do we do this? So I think Melbourne, in terms of being able to lodge complaints, well down the pecking order. Join the queue, Melbourne, if you've got a problem, because there's a few other clubs that have got some issues, let me tell you. When our draw and their AFL is released on Thursday, this will all ricochet here as well. So the, yep. the two things are intertwined to a small degree. I was fascinated to see March 7 and March 8 – so that looks like where the AFL will start its season in Sydney with first a, a Giants-Collingwood um, game and a Sydney-Melbourne game. The yep. corresponding NRL fixtures are actually in Newcastle and New Zealand. You haven't got out of the way, have you, for the, for the AFL to land big? Oh, Jared, again, you're just a, you're a conspiracy theorist. That's what you are. You're just, you're just trying to cause trouble today. Um, Rugby League has set its... It has charted its course for next season, which includes Vegas. You're aware we're going to Vegas, are you? Yes, Two I games. am. Is Jared Waitley broadcasting there? Have you somehow, you know, being a, almost a, a Vegas uh, local there the number <laughs> of times you've been there? Have you managed to secure a trip there? Um, I, I don't think so, but I, I will say this about the draw. I don't think there's ever been as much analysis and breakdown as what I experienced this morning. Um it is incredible. It's incredible. And the draw's out. And there were times there. I can remember you know, within the past decade, maybe the draw got held back. But now it's one of the big days of the year. People like people ringing up today telling me exactly this is their away trip next year. They take yeah, the, they yeah. do the boys' trip to Townsville. They've locked it in. Bang, done, done, done and dusted. These are the two games. The one listener we had said, these are the two games I'll go to next year. You know, he's not a regular goer, but he already knows. He's circled, sees where they are, gets the date. I I can't remember that. Maybe that's an AFL thing. You guys have been more around that because your whole draw has been every day um, of the season, every week has worked out. We weren't always that way. But boy, have people bought into it now, judging by the barometer of SEM listeners today. Do, do you think that AFL idea, which will be uh, formalised on Thursday, is a good idea to, to start oh, the season in Sydney? Yeah, absolutely I do. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no. If, look, are the, are the codes at war? And I say that very loosely. Well, they're, they're opponents. They're, they're competing for the entertainment dollar. Any advantage you can get, go for it. Go for it. And I do notice in our, in our NRL draw that on Anzac Day night, while Melbourne won't play the Warriors, and that's a disappointment for some because that's become a traditional um, uh, Anzac Day night game. They're the opponents. Uh, the Dragons play the Roosters in Sydney and Melbourne play the Warriors in Melbourne. And Melbourne get that, that night slot to themselves, don't they? They're not competing against an AFL game. But next year, they've ruled... <laughs> they're keeping the tradition of Dragons and Roosters... And yes, the Warriors will play on Anzac Day, but they get one in New Zealand. Ah. But it won't be against Melbourne. It's going to be um, against the Gold Coast Titans. And Melbourne, on Anzac Day night next year, will play South Sydney. So they, so Melbourne have kept the tradition of the slot because it is um, they do it very well, but it also doesn't have an AFL opponent. But they will have a different NRL opponent, which is, which is interesting. Your magic round is May 17 to 19 when everyone heads off to Brisbane. If you yep. were going to offer a word of advice to the AFL for Thursday, would you say bring two big games into Sydney that weekend? Well, yeah. No, again, I would. 
Absolutely, I would. Um, I know I love. I, I'm. I'm absolutely locked and loaded for Brisbane. I hope that um, Magic Round doesn't go anywhere else. And I think you thought Adelaide was just sensational mm. um, this year. Once they do it very well, do you have an obligation to spread it around? Well, I say in the case of Rugby League and Brisbane and Magic Round, I say no. So I'm thinking AFL can do some pretty forward planning that there ain't going to be no Magic Round in Sydney anytime soon. As in, there's always going to be this this full weekend where we basically pack up tent and head off to Queensland. And even more so this year, um, the the Women's State of Origin series has been extended to three matches. And the opener to that series will be Thursday night in Magic Round. So Magic Round is going back to four days, if you will, um, three days of NRL and one night of NRL um, W, if you like. The, yeah. the Women's State of Origin game will be played on the Thursday night. And Origin men is coming back to the MCG Game 2. Is that the sweet spot? Is the Game 2 at the neutral venue the sweet spot? Or Not for me, okay. Jared. No, not, not, not for me. I, I think the opener... Well, I just don't like the series to be decided outside the heartland, maybe. Yeah. Is that too narrow? No, no. Because you can, you know, you could have the series decided Queensland could win in Sydney or New South Wales could win in Queensland, but that is the heartland. That's where most passion runs through. So um, how do I put it nicely? I don't think the neutral observer is entitled to witness the series being won or lost. How does that sound? So that means a game one of a series, I guess, should be where we um, hit the road outside of Queensland, New South Wales, just in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, harness the full passion or the full acrimony, yeah, depending on how it yeah. goes, yeah, at the yeah. moment of decision. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right, Vossie, lovely. Reach across the divide. Just a heart starter for our little summer episodes. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you're <laughs> just having a little bit of trouble. And, and, but, if, but if, Jared, I'll say this. If you go to Vegas and, and Voss and Brandy Alexander miss out, oh, Hutchie, there's going to be a problem. There's going to be a walkout at ECN. I'm just, on. I'm going to set up for you a couple of weeks in advance for oh, the Super Bowl. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll yes. lay the crumbs for you when you dip when the you toe into the pool there. water at the hotel. See <laughs> yes, if the temperature's yeah. right. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Have sure. A, go to the Sphere and see what it's like for you. It'll be All great. Right. Thank you very much. Good on you, Vossie. Bye now. Flight Centre's big red sale is on with limited time offers on flights, cruises, holidays and tours. Book now to save big. Now, back to Waitley. That change in the NRL's Anzac fixture in Melbourne is interesting and Jack in Churnside Park is not happy about that at all. I've been to the Storm versus Warriors Anzac Day and it's an absolute farce that they aren't playing that fixture next season. The Anzac ceremony at Amy Park under lights is nothing short of spectacular, not to mention the healthy amount of Essendon and Collingwood supporters attending the game as a double header. They are both in the top four and preliminary final sides. It makes zero sense that they're that they aren't putting that game on next season. Hard to fathom, really. So still a game for Melbourne, but the Rabbitohs are now the opponent. The Warriors will host their own game in New Zealand. Jack, thanks for that message. This is Waitley. Peter Lawler has taught us all something today. Bulldog Rays just got home. Channel 1631 on the Samsung TV for Cricket Gold. (laughs) That's just what a discovery that's going to be. Oh, there's a... Uh, I can understand watching old footy matches, Jared, but old cricket matches? Oh, no. One of the great discoveries of COVID was old cricket matches are way better than old footy matches to watch, I think. And Fox's minis of the World Series Cup. But if there's more to be had on that front, I'm totally up for that. I thought I'd save our next McCafe coffee catch-up, 30 Days, 30 Deals, is back at Macca's. With Malcolm Speed for this week, for the climax of, of a World Cup, Malcolm runs our governance portfolio. He is the godfather of sports administrators, and this is particularly timely on a number of fronts. Malcolm, it's great to see you. 
Uh, great to be here, Jared. Patrick Smith was the scourge of sports administrators, I reckon, from various times. It would have been a frightening place to be in his crosshairs. Did you cross paths with Patrick a bit? Yes, I did, uh, Patrick. And my early days were in basketball with uh, as chairman of the NBL. And Patrick was a big basketball fan, a big Andrew Gaze fan. And he, he went to every Melbourne Tigers game. And I saw him there and I knew him from somewhere back in the dark ages. But uh, Patrick and Greg Baum and Martin Blake, they were the basketball writers. And Mike Horan and Steve Howes, they were a good group. And uh, Patrick had a column on the back of the Sunday Age at that stage, the whole of the back page, and and he'd snipe. Every article was sniping at someone or other, and and there was always a sports administrator, and I got my fair share with the NBL, and uh, there wasn't much you could do about it. You just had to wear it, but I had a chance to get even. Uh, I I was asked to speak at a Vic Sport lunch for 200 sports administrators, and I decided I would speak in defence of the sports administrator. So <laughs> I had all these statistics about how great Australian sport was and, and uh, how we're overachieving and 50% of our first choice athletes played AFL football and didn't even compete on the international stage and whatever. And I focused it on, I, I, my, when I, I wrote it, I, I started by saying, uh, uh, we, we're going to focus on a journalist here. We won't know him, but I'll call him Psychiatric Patrick. <laughs> And it was a clear broadside back at Patrick. And every now and then in the speech, I'd say, and what do you think about that psychiatric, Patrick? (laughs) And uh, so I wrote it. Uh, I I was all set to go. I woke up uh, the morning of the speech. I read it again and I thought, uh, I'm not sure that psychiatric Patrick's going to work with Patrick. So (laughs) it became unhappy, Patrick. And uh, uh, I delivered the speech. Patrick heard about it. He was unhappy to be called unhappy (laughs) Patrick, but at least I didn't get sued, Jared. And he, he was a legend. He was fantastic. He he was he got right to the heart of the issue uh, and uh, he terrorised sports administrators. But uh, you need a thick skin to be a sports administrator. And part of developing the thick skin was living through Patrick's uh, diatribes on the back page of the Sunday Age. It was a hazing from Patrick Smith. Yes. Uh, so I thought we would deliberately choose today. Is the form of cricket that has been... Um, that is least sure of itself is 50-over cricket and its place. And yet the World Cup, I think, still stands as a a beacon. I think it's still the pinnacle tournament. I'm so curious, as you've watched the phases of evolution in the forms of of cricket, how's this World Cup been, do you think? Uh, This World Cup has been very good. Uh, I, I, uh, as Chief Executive of the ICC uh, or Cricket Australia, I, I... uh, lived through the 99 World Cup. I was at Edgbaston for that match there, the most amazing cricket match I've ever seen. I was down in the rooms immediately after the match there and there, there was shock. The Australian team was shocked. It was just, it was so such a vibrant, uh, unexpected, uh, exciting win. It was, it was an amazing experience to be down there. 2003 in South Africa was the first one I was uh, responsible for. That was an unmitigated disaster from start to finish. And you judge a World Cup as, administ- as an administrator on on the quality of the competition, uh, on whether you are able to deliver your contractual obligations. And that, that was the first World Cup uh, under a new uh, media rights deal. Uh, it was uh, about $150 million worth. Uh, we'd, we'd, we'd been paid $150 million to run it. At the end of it, a uh, broadcaster, which was a News Limited uh, uh, affiliate, sued uh, ICC for $55 million US. Uh, because there'd been all sorts of issues. England had uh, refused to play in Zimbabwe because of a half-baked death threat. Uh, uh, New Zealand had refused to play in Kenya. 
there was lots of ambush marketing from India with Pepsi and the Indian players. Everything that Shane Warne was, um, this didn't result in any damages, but Shane Warne, as we know, uh, was sent home with his uh, his uh, doping violation. Uh, Johnny Rhodes, uh, the, the premier fieldsman in the uh, event, uh, didn't play at all. South Africa bombed out earlier, then England bombed out. Um, it was saved to an extent by the Australia-India final and Ricky Ponting's outstanding 140. So uh, we ended up, we settled the 55 million for 7 million, but it was still, from for me, it was a, uh, one of those events where I was I was very pleased it was over. Yep, um, yep. Then we went to the West Indies, and and that's uh, that that was uh, that was unusual. It was played in eight venues. The West Indies consists of thirteen third world countries with a population of six million, so it, it's pretty sparse. Uh, that again was a disaster. It started with uh, we had a format sixteen teams. Uh, it, it was all focused on the last eight. In fact, one match that uh, in that was expected in the last eight was India versus Pakistan in uh, Barbados. It sold out in a flash. People were coming in cruise ships, so American Indians were coming. And so, Sorry, Indian-born uh, Indian Americans, not, not the, uh, yes, yep. the, the Indians from India, let's yes, put it that yep. way, Jared, were coming in cruise ships. They were flying in. Everything was booked. Hotels were booked. Everything was booked. India bombed out in the first round. They lost to Sri Lanka. Uh, they then lost to... Uh, Bangladesh, they'd beaten Bangladesh 49 out of 50 times when they played them in one-day matches. They went home after two matches. Oh, my goodness. Pakistan lost to Ireland. <laughs> uh, and and uh, then I can't remember who beat them, whether it was West Indies or uh, Zimbabwe. West Indies beat them, in fact. They went home. And that match became something like Bangladesh versus Ireland instead of uh, India versus Pakistan. The Pakistan poach, coach Bob Woolmer died. Yeah. Massive, uh, massive drama. Uh, all sort of media came from everywhere. After Pakistan had lost to Ireland, Bob collapsed in his hotel room and tragically died. Uh, the New York Times read an article that it was the, the uh, match-fixing mafia had killed him. Another article had him dying from being poisoned with snake venom. It was amazing. They came from everywhere. There were pushes to cancel the World Cup because uh, Bob had died so tragically. Uh, and that was all in the first week. Wow. Then West Indies bombed out. Uh, England bombed out, uh, and uh, we we limped through the last eight. Uh, had a, quite a good final, Australia versus Sri Lanka. They were the best two teams. Australia won, uh, and the the uh, with the the final with about three overs to go, Australia well on top. Uh, the umpires decided that they should go off and come back the next day. That Rudy Kurtzson, who's a very fine umpire, mucked up one of the rules. Yep. They went off. Uh, uh, eventually they came back. The match was finished in darkness. I was doing the presentation. I got well and truly booed and I probably deserved it, Jared. But again, I was happy that World Cup was over. Yes. Uh, so there's a lot that can go wrong. There's a lot that, well, whatever could go wrong in the West Indies went wrong. Yep. And uh, the, the, it, it was, uh, I, I regard it as the event from hell. It, it just went on and on. It was It was too long. Once uh, England uh, bombed out there, journalists criticised the event, the West Indies. Uh, it was being criticised left, right and centre. There were very few good feet. It was supposed to be a good news story. Cricket goes to the West Indies. Yep. Eight venues built uh, in strange circumstances. These venues had popped up, uh, but it turned out to be uh, an unmitigated disaster. So just before so we this, leave that this, one, yeah, mm. um, in the Bob Woolmer circumstance, what was the information flow 
to you like as the conspiracy theories not only swirled but got published? Uh, Information flow was pretty good from the police. Yep. Uh, The police were all over it but uh, made a mess of it in the end. Uh, A year later, there was an inquest that went for a month and there are all sorts of uh, the, the police just made a mess of that. The autopsy that that had been poorly performed. It was it's it's uh, uh, just from, from start to finish. It it was poorly handled. Information flow was good. Uh, I was in Jamaica at the time where it happened, so so uh, I, I was I was right in the mix of it. So did you uh, ever have cause to fear that the that he had been murdered, or did you have information right from the start that that's not what that was? Uh, the police were suspicious and I, I remember sitting through a bizarre circumstance there where the Pakistan team, uh, uh, they were very upset at Bob's uh, passing, as, as you would imagine, and they were required to undergo DNA testing for exclusion purposes oh, before wow. they were allowed to leave Jamaica. And yeah. one of the players, I can't remember who it was, but a hard-bitten old, one of their older batsmen, who's a terrific player, if I saw the list of names, I'd remember it. He refused to do the DNA test. He was he wasn't a suspect. This was insulting. This and there was serious drama between Pakistan and the, the police. I was at the meeting where they were asking them to do it. Uh, it. It was it was highly unusual. Nobody knew quite what had happened. But as it unpacked, it became increasingly clear Bob had serious health issues. Uh, and the way he'd he'd been found in his uh, his hotel room, he was he was collapsed uh, in the uh, in the, the toilet of the bathroom. There was no way anyone could have got into the room without disturbing his body, uh, so or got out of the room without disturbing his body. But despite that, there was all this confusion and uh, um, drama about it. Uh, uh, journalists came from everywhere. I've never seen anything yeah. like it. We had a, a press conference there in Jamaica where. Uh, a press room was absolutely packed with journalists from places we'd never seen before, we'd never heard of them before. It was huge drama. Yeah. And that's the sort of thing that throws the World Cup off its axis, uh, as well as losing your, be- the, your your most popular teams, the teams that are going to generate the the uh, the media coverage. And bear in mind, West Indies is, is a very difficult time zone to broadcast from, so you're, you're broadcasting to most places in the middle of the night. You lose your best pulling teams and uh, the broadcasters, the sponsors, everyone's very unhappy about it. So the the biggest problems this World Cup has had is it was organised in a manner which precluded travelling fans, which has been one of the great pities. It looks like it's been staged in India, by India, for India, and that's not quite the spirit of the World Cup. Not quite, but uh, I was, I'm not surprised to see some relatively empty venues for World Cup matches. That always happens there. There are matches that are that aren't popular. What we've seen in India, though, is I think as they've gone around to the different cities, we've seen different aspects of India, different pitches, uh, different uh, uh, climate, uh, and lots of lots of Indians turning up to support one or other of the teams. Lots of Indians wearing Australian shirts. Mm. I might add, I, I'm not sure where they're buying them. I suspect they're out in the bazaars and they're uh, they're not authorised. Uh, <laughs> uh, Merchandise, but there, there are lots of Indians wearing them. So has it, has it enshrined the World Cup's place in cricket, or do you, does that remain vulnerable? Evidently, that's the source of much discussion behind closed doors and in the immediate aftermath for administrators around the world. Jared, I, th- I think it has. Uh, I'm not sure it's enshrined it, but it's uh, it's certainly boosted its 
its role in the the, the cricket ecosystem. And um, if, if we go back, if we take a long-term view of, uh, of cricket, going back uh, 100 years, uh, uh, cricket invented for 150 years, cricket invented for betting, uh, uh, the development of the five-day game, the development of test cricket, some one-day formats, uh, one-day cricket emerging in the 70s, uh, the World Cup being played in the 70s and World Series cricket promoting it, that sort of thing. When I started in 1997... Uh, the, the dogma at the time was one day cricket was uh, cannibalising test cricket. And Mike Coward, who's a very fine writer, he, he, he wrote that often. He was very concerned about that. Uh, and, and there was a good balance there over those years between one day cricket, particularly the World Cup and test cricket. And if we go back into the, say, from the, the 90s onwards, uh, there were good series in Australia here, and the feature of one-day cricket is you only get one game in your city. So if you live in Adelaide, you get one game, usually uh, recently on Australia Day. If you live in uh, Perth, you get one game. If you live in Brisbane, you get one game. So you either, if you want to see one-day cricket, that's when you go. Uh, it worked well for the broadcasters. So 2020 emerges in 2008. The IPL uh, comes along at that stage. There's lots of interest in the IPL and uh, lots of uh, lots of dollars uh, in in the IPL. Huge uh, um, uh, in Indian uh, investors there, uh, and this this uh, now we see the development of franchise cricket with the same people owning their franchises, and uh, lots of interest in. 2020 cricket players. So we we hear of players who are are going to uh, opt out of the regular uh, schedule, playing for their country and and go on the the IPL circuit. Now that may happen. And and if you look at that uh, uh, cricket over that period, there've been lots of dramas, lots of different uh, issues that have occurred there. Uh, I th- I think that would be sad if if we lost some of the top players. I think what it's going, what we're going to see is players like David Warner will go onto the circuit. Um, Tim David is an interesting example of a, a young player who's never really played much of the established uh, series, but uh, uh, schedule. He he's uh, he, he became a, a 2020 sensation, but uh, he seems to have gone off the boil a bit. We look at Cam Smith. Uh, uh, Cameron Green, I'm sorry, I've got my sports mixed up. Uh, Cameron Green, Marcus Stoinis, perhaps their 2020 shares have gone down a bit as a result of this World Cup. Others, uh, others, uh, their, their, uh, um, Glenn Maxwell, his uh, his price will have boomed enormously yeah. over playing in the 50-over game for the 20-over game. But what's happened with this Ashes series, so I think it's it's a bit of a double whammy this year. The Ashes series followed by... Uh, so a great Ashes series followed by a great World Cup. We've started to think, well, perhaps we, we need to be careful about where 2020 fits in. The administrators have done two things. They've said for future franchise uh, uh, events, so anything that comes in the future, there will be no more than four foreign players allowed on the, the ground at any one time. Uh, I think that's too little too late. They should have done that uh, earlier. Uh, we see the UAE uh, League, which has an, up to nine foreign players on the field at any one time. The USA uh, franchise, up to six foreign players on the ground at any one time. The boards are now contracting their players for longer periods of time, and, and we see some Australian players receiving three-year contracts. They're very well paid now. 
And that's the difference from, from when I started. The, you, you might recall in, in the 90s, the players complained a lot about how little they were played. State players were paid uh, uh, very, very little. Uh, uh, international players were paid more. There was an outcry then that there was too much cricket, uh, that uh, test and one-day uh, cricket, there was too much cricket. Uh, but the players wanted then, the, they wanted to top it up and go off and play county cricket on top of that. So uh, uh, that's not a new argument. Um where it will end, uh, I, I think, is it's uh, if if we regard uh, the path of a sport as a continuum. Yes, twenty twenty will continue to grow, and it will continue to marginalise fifty over cricket and Test cricket to an extent. But I'm very hopeful. I think that that fifty over cricket and Test cricket will 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 hold their place, and it will be a significant place. Malcolm Speed is in the studio. It's our McCafe Coffee Catch-Up. 30 Days, 30 Deals is back at Macca's. We'll continue on in a moment. Melbourne's weather, 13 degrees. Possible light shower, a top of 17 for city power, supply and power to homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. Now, back to Waitley. Could listen to Malcolm Speed stories all day, and I'm not alone there. Our McCafe Coffee Catch-Up, barista-made ice-cold drive-through for your iced coffee favourites at McCafe. Just a little sketch here, Malcolm. What's happening with Sri Lankan cricket? Is that cause for major concern or is this a bit of history repeating? There's some history repeating here, Jared, where uh, the uh, government has uh, sacked the cricket board. ICC has then suspended uh, the cricket board because of government interference. It's happened two or three times in my time in cricket. I think it'll sort itself out. There'll be a new board appointed by the government. They will then be uh, affiliated with the ICC. It's it's uh, it's unfortunate, uh, but uh, it's not new. Afghanistan has been the delight of this World Cup and they are making the stretch. They're no longer minnows and they'll be a serious mainstream white ball team shortly. Um, you made the case with us right at the peak of the controversy as to why nations needed to play Afghanistan. I'm so curious as to how you've seen this unfold at the World Cup and, and what it might mean going forward, given that it's complicated. Yes, uh, it is complicated and uh, it's been great to see Afghanistan do do so well. Uh, I think we also need to recognise that Afghanistan and the Netherlands qualified for this event by pushing out uh, uh, West Indies and Zimbabwe, so so they've moved up the pecking order a bit there. Uh, I think we'll see uh, other nations taking Afghanistan more seriously. They'll, they'll be playing tests. Uh, not, I doubt if they'll be playing test matches in Afghanistan. Although I did read about a new venue that's being built in the south of Afghanistan. Uh, I read that recently, so we'll wait and see what happens there. But it'd be great, and I, I argued for this last year, it'd be great to see Australia play test cricket against Afghanistan, to play one-day cricket, to play uh, 2020 cricket in Australia. I think that'll happen uh, shortly. Uh, it, it gets messy when we political in, uh, considerations come, come into it. We start talking about the Taliban's attitude to women and this sort of thing. And I see Cricket Australia has been uh, accused of a double standard by playing against Afghanistan in the World Cup but not playing against them here. But I'd like to see it as a watershed moment for Afghanistan. They play a different form of cricket, don't they? It's a, it's a really interesting uh, way they play the game. It's great to see their spin bowlers and uh, uh, it'd be good to see them play here more. Cricket at the Olympics. So does this have its genesis back in your day? It does, Jared. Strangely enough, uh, uh, 
I had uh, two parts in that. When I started at ICC, there, there was cricket had just been in the Commonwealth Games in 1998. Uh, I started at ICC in 2001. There was discussion about it getting into the Olympics. There was absolutely no interest from the major countries, including Australia at that stage. Uh, I, I took the first step where cricket had to be recognised by the General Assembly of International Sporting Federations. Cricket hadn't been recognised, so I went to a meeting in Geneva. I remember on one side I had, uh, cheer, it was in alphabetical order, so cheerleading was on one side, it was a sport, and croquet was on the other side, it was a sport. <laughs> And I had to stand up before this organisation of about, I think, 150 sports and argue that cricket uh, should be added as a member. So I did that and, and it was it was very strange. No technology in those days. Each person had two bats, table tennis bats in front of them in French. We oui on one side, non on the other. And if you voted in favour, you held up yes. If you voted against, you held up no. So we got in. About two years later, I went to an IOC meeting in uh, Colorado Springs in the US where uh, we applied for cricket to be admitted as a non-playing member of the IOC. Now, that had some advantages for some of our countries. They could get funding through their Olympic Federation. It didn't affect uh, the major countries, but that was that was the forebear. That was the, 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 the early steps of cricket coming into it. So I had a good look at... Uh, at the IOC and its uh, its meeting structures and whatever, I think it will be if we if we go back to that uh, the, the the continuum running through through sport there, the the argument against it and it's been a powerful argument is what what cricket doesn't need the Olympics. Uh, uh, we see in the IPL, for instance, every uh, every match uh, generates twenty million in TV rights. So we're going to go to the Olympics and play a lot of of. Uh, 2020 matches in the Olympics and the IOC will get all those TV rights. Cricket will get nothing. So what's in it for cricket? So I think it's uh, it's probably what's in it for cricket is just the wider exposure of the Olympics. Uh, I think uh, the players will enjoy it. I think it will introduce new markets to cricket. It's important for the USA uh, that it be uh, that cricket be exposed in the USA. Uh, so yes, there are some positives. Uh, and uh, I think it'll make uh, it'll be great sport in the Olympics. Men and women playing twenty twenty. I see they're only going to have six teams, so yeah. there'll be a difficult qualification. Uh, let's hope that the the countries with uh, the big TV audiences can 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 be there and uh, uh, start the Olympics with a bang. It's Cricket was in the Olympics in 1900, so it's been a long time since yeah. uh, since it was last in. The, the cynical view is that this is the IOC wants to crack India and its its TV rights and its wealth there. Um, is that it? Probably, Jared. If we, yeah. if we if we had more time, I'd tell you a story about uh, India and the Olympics, but perhaps next time. But, All right. Uh, uh, that that's part of it. The IOC is keen on it, but uh, cricket didn't have to agree to it. And, and in the past, when there have been overtures uh, from the IOC, cricket have just rejected it out of hand. And I can recall sitting at meetings of the ICC board and running it up the flagpole. Uh, now, pretty good argument. Do we want to, uh, sh should we, we be approaching the IOC to come into the Olympics? And 15 years ago, there was no appetite for it whatsoever. So things have changed. That appetite is there from cricket. Uh, so uh, if there's some cynicism from the IOC and, and it creates a... Uh, a bonanza for the IOC. Uh, that's something cricket has to wear. 
Right, I've got one more for you, Malcolm, after Nathan in the newsroom. All right, last one, Malcolm. I've been transfixed by Rugby Australia and Eddie Jones. I don't know to what level you've followed this, but do you have any takeouts? Do you have any lessons learnt from this? Jared, it was different, wasn't it? Uh, you and I have talked about the uh, the difficulty in uh, with AFL coaches, how, how clubs don't seem to be able to get that right, the transition from from one coach to the next. Now, rugby seemed to uh, rug, uh, put a, a different spin on that, didn't they? They uh, they bombed out. Uh, there were lots of uh, lots of stories about Eddie Jones talking to Japan very early into his contract. Uh, he had the full support of the board there, I saw uh, a couple of times, and then he resigned. So uh, it, it was different. Uh, uh, it, was, it, was, it was ugly. Uh, rugby is struggling at the moment. If we talk about yep. that continuum of, a sport, uh, continuum of a sport, rugby is, uh, is down. Rugby league, its arch uh, rival, is, uh, is very strong at the moment. The other sports have left rugby uh, behind. So they need to regroup. Uh, they need uh, – there is – Good support in Australia for for rugby, but uh, it's diminishing. So they need to regroup. They need to to start again. Put a new coach in there. Work on their grassroots. There's talk about all of that, but uh, they're in for difficult times. If you'd chosen the coach as the messiah as the chairman and your captain's pick, it would be a little unnerving to find out that he'd had an interview with Japan behind your back. I think. I think it'd be. Uh, more than unnerving, uh, but it's the uh, administrator's dilemma. What do you do about that when when you're in the middle of a World Cup, uh, your team's performing badly, uh, the media's all over it, uh, do, do you come out and have a sort of a public flogging uh, and, and move him on, uh, or do you go down a different path? And uh, rugby went down a different path. What would I have done? Who knows? Uh, but uh, I'm very glad I wasn't in that situation. Jared. I've had my... Uh, my fair share of uh, difficult moments. Malcolm, it's lovely to relive some of them with you. Thank you. Thanks, Jared. Good to see you again. Malcolm Speed runs our governance portfolio. He is the godfather of sports administration in this country. Waitley for the all-new Hyundai Kona, Imagine to be Bold and Host Plus. Waitley on SEN. Third down and two. Here's Hunt. Kareem Hunt picks up a first wow. down and he's into the end zone for a Browns touchdown. And then some push-ups. Right here. Browns with touchdowns on their last two possessions. Oh, Deflected, picked off, and taken back by Newsom. Newsom stayed in bounds. Touchdown! Wow! This team's gonna fight. That's what we do. That's what we do. I'm so proud of everybody in this room. Grab a hand. Grab an arm. Grab a piece. We need it. We need everybody in here, fellas. Okay. Now that's a big one. You know why? Because it was the one that they had today. Guess what? Next one's the biggest game of your life. That's how it works. That's how it works in this league, okay? Cleveland Browns over the Baltimore Ravens, 33-31. 16 last quarter points. Forever unsuccessful, the Browns. That is a big win over the hot Ravens. We check in on the NFL each week. Catch every NFL game this season with Game Pass only on DAZN. Visit NFL DAZN dot com forward slash NFL. Ben Graham's our man. Hello, Benny. <laughs> Good morning, Jared. Yeah, what great scenes it was for the Cleveland Browns. This game was in Baltimore. It was a division game. And for all money, it looked like that the Baltimore Ravens were the better team all day. Deshaun Watson in the first half was absolutely putrid. 
<laughs> but they kept finding a way. They ran the ball to Sean Watson, turned it around, and on defense they were able to get that late touchdown. And a, and even though they kicked, missed an extra point, a field goal at the end there, uh, sealed the deal. But they are still third in the AFC North. That's just how tight the AFC North is. The Ravens are still with the seven wins. The Steelers are a sneaky good six and three with the Browns. And then, of course, the Cincinnati Bengals, who a lot of people thought were back on track, dropped the game they should have won against this young and exciting Houston Texans team. But it's all happening in the AFC North. So CJ Stroud is having one hell of a season with the Texans, and this was the pinnacle moment of it, really, down in the Bengals. Well, yeah. So last week, he put up 470 yards and five touchdowns, which broke all sorts of records for a rookie. But we wanted to see not only him, but the team back it up on the road against a division opponent against a team like the Bengals, who had won four straight. So for them to be able to win that, and it was a grind as well. Like, it was a topsy-turvy game. Joe Burrow at time looked absolutely magnificent. His touchdown pass to Jamar Chase was exquisite. But CJ Stroud, his ability to command that offense, they ran the ball really well, Jared, without Damian Pierce. They Devin Singletree across from the Bills, who went up for 150 yards. But they are doing it on both sides of the ball. But CJ Stroud, he will win the Offensive Rookie Player of the Year by the length of the Flemington straight. He is going to be a franchise quarterback and something Texans fans can look forward to watching over the next decade. So he's he's now sixth favourite for the MVP, never mind rookie awards and all. How? So I'm curious, how unlikely is this? Is this a, Has he sort of defied expectation here? Well, everyone knew that he was going to be good. When you look at this quarterback rookie class with Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, CJ Stroud, and Will Levis now starting at the Titans, they're the pick of the bunch. But CJ Stroud has emerged, and he's on a better team than Bryce Young at the Panthers, and he's remained injury-free, unlike Anthony Richardson at the Colts. But he is an elite talent, and you learn more and more about him through his teammates and coaches every day. They're saying he's got ice in his veins. The way he's able to get the group together in the locker room, calm them down when they need to be, get a lift out of teammates on both sides of the ball. Like he is, you know, I don't want to compare him to Patrick Mahomes because Patrick Mahomes has done it over a long period of time. But the state of this franchise with D'Amico Ryans as coach, their young stars on both sides of the ball, they'd be having so much fun right now, Jared. And they've lost a couple of close games. And I think they'll rue the Panthers' loss three weeks ago. Right now, they are in the playoff picture. So yes, CJ Stroud may get an MVP vote and he will be in that conversation for many years to come. I think maybe a little before their time, but right now, they'll be thinking playoff. That's why they need to ensure that it is a one-week-at-a-time approach for the Texans because they've got a relatively easy schedule. Cardinals, Broncos, Jets, Titans uh, and Colts to finish. So there's no reason why they shouldn't make it with their schedule, but you know they'll drop out of the playoff picture if the Bills get over the Broncos today. Pick two in the draft, and it's happening in such a hurry. Uh, Bill Belichick is increasingly fascinating as to whether the, the legendary coach of the Patriots is under pressure, to what degree, the contract extension we learned about in season – the uh, in what I've been listening to, starting to float the possibility of maybe a mutual parting at the end of the year. Here was Belichick after the loss to the Colts in one of the international games. 
Um, all right. Well, it's you know, obviously a disappointing game. Um, similar theme that we've had other games this year. Just too many missed opportunities and uh, in all three phases of the game. So just got to you know, play better situational football and do a better job taking advantage of the opportunities that we have. We just didn't do a good enough job today. What's your read of the unrest around Bill Belichick? Well, he hates facing the media, number one, Jared. So that's uh, you don't learn much from him through a media conference, but you've only got to watch the game. Mac Jones, he threw an interception in the red zone, which is one of the worst throws you will ever see for an NFL quarterback. And for Bill Belichick to make the decision to bench Mac Jones with a minute 44 to go in the game with no timeouts, down by four, needing a touchdown to win. Benches Mac Jones and expects Bailey Zappi to come onto the field like a closer in baseball to win them that game. I think he wanted to see what both quarterbacks could do. I don't think we'll see Mac Jones again. There was vision on the sideline of Bill O'Brien, the offensive coordinator, ripping Mac Jones a new one. I think that's the sense of the frustration that they're feeling on the sideline. Bill's obviously got to keep it together in a press conference. But this is, I think Bill's determined to blow it up. Yeah, right. Try everything. Uh, they're having a losing season. I think they'll find a way to get the number one pick in the draft and potentially to pick up Caleb Williams. But uh, and whether Bill Belichick's the man to take the team forward or not, we can discuss that at length about his contract and whether it is or it isn't. But I, it, it's a mess, Jared. It's a mess. Um, they have eight, nine losses, I think, nine losses, which is more than about four losses more than any other team in the AFC. Like, it's just, it's a horrible situation that they're going through. Um, blow it up, I say, Bill. Start again. <laughs> Mark wants to know, and I'm a bit, I've been a holdout on the Lions. They have seven and two, 41-38 over the Chargers. How good are the Detroit Lions? Oh, uh, Jared, I, I love the Lions. Uh, I really do. I love, they're a team right now that isn't, suffering too much adversity like other teams. Jared Goff's a solid quarterback. They've got a great running game in Dave Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. Um, Amon and brown at wide receivers is fast becoming my favourite receiver. And their defence are a defensively-minded, coached football team. They, they, you know, we do locks and long shots on NFL armchair experts, and my long shot is that the Detroit Lions win the Super Bowl because they have got all the pieces of the puzzle. Uh, they've still got a long way to go. The Minnesota Vikings in their division are one five in a row. They've got to come out of their division first, but with a relatively easy schedule, um, if they can hold it all together and avoid those blowout losses like they did in Baltimore three weeks ago, um, yeah, I, I like the Lions. I'm excited for them. Broncos, Bills today. Uh, are you on the flag football beat? I am, yes. So it's the second year that We've had the NFL flag tournament up here on the Gold Coast. And next week, it's embarking on its journey in New Zealand. It's a fantastic tournament, Jared. It's 12 months that it's been going. It's in a lot of schools up here in Queensland and New South Wales. But we have representation now from schools all over Australia, Northern Territory, Victoria, South Australia. So it's now a state-based competition. And the winning school here goes to Orlando, Florida, to the Pro Bowl, as they did last year, to Vegas. But it is a... You can feel the vibe, Jared, at grassroots level. And it's because the Olympics have now included it in LA 24. So these young athletes 
that are playing flag football now have got something to aim for and potentially represent their country. It's just fantastic. And the talent on show is something to behold. And it's just, uh, it's a great to be involved with. Yeah. What a motivator to, with a, a run to the Olympics to, um, to learn the sport, to engage with it, to grow the base, and then to see what, what Australia might come up with to qualify for an Olympics. That's a hundred percent right. And now I've heard the, narrative around let's recruit AFL players and rugby players I say no Jared I say leave the professional sports to do what they do let's focus on growing this game from the grassroots and in in two years time and then Paris and then uh in Paris then LA and then when it comes to Brisbane we'll have a fully fledged flag football tournament countrywide not only at grassroots level but for athletes uh, at all ages so it's a it's only just beginning, Jared, 12 months in the making. The guys at NFL Australia are doing a fantastic job. But it all roads lead to LA 2028. Very good. Ben, we'll chat next week. Thanks, Jared. Ben Graham with a look at the NFL Week 10 results and a game still to come to get today, the Broncos at Bills. Uh, lots of messages. 0433 98 11 16 40 wings, temper text, temper, a mattress like no other. I'll share those with you. We're going to talk the AFLW final series and the upheaval that was caused. Sarah Ollie coming up. Now, back to Waitley. In among your messages after Malcolm Speed told the story of the 2007 World Cup, I ended up working in a hotel in St. Kitts for five months before the Games started in 2007. It was an incredible experience, but the organisation pre event was so relaxed. I was sitting. In the centre of the pitch, three weeks before the event started with a groundsman who was a Bob Marley-like figure and not really understanding what was coming with Aussies and South Africa. The stories he told of Viv Richards and the Ireland rivalries was fascinating. Now, back to Waitley. Total upheaval in the AFLW final series with the first week, the lower-ranked qualifying finalists defeating one and two. So Brisbane over Adelaide and then North Melbourne stunningly over Melbourne. It's caused the AFL just to reiterate how things work from here. So the new seedings are North Melbourne 1 and Brisbane Lions 2, and that's relevant for who hosts the grand final. Adelaide is 3 and Melbourne is 4. So North Melbourne's prelim is for hosting rights of the grand final for them. Should they lose and Brisbane win, then it's in Brisbane. And then Adelaide get the swing at it from there. Uh, if they are to qualify and then Melbourne are at four and so on and so forth. So without a fixed grand final, the unlikely results or the less fancied results caused, I take it, a degree of confusion. But for absolute clarity for grand final hosting rights, the AFL's put out North Melbourne is currently the one seed and the Brisbane Lions the two. So it's North's grand final to host if they can win their prelim. Our AFLW segment for MEGT, helping women kick their career goals in the trade industry. This is the moment that had been years in the making for the Kangaroos and what to make of the reigning Premier Melbourne and their suddenly complete inability to score. It's a result that flips things on their head. Expectations around who can make it, who can win it. Discount North Melbourne at your peril. Yeah, it's really disappointing. The, the scoreline today, I mean, we had, I think there was about 5,500 people here, so it was a good chance to, to showcase where we're at as a team. And, um, yeah, no, that will sting. That will sting for a little while, and um, we'll certainly use that as fuel to get ourselves back on track, get ourselves in form, and, um, yeah, be ready to go in a week's time. 
mixed near the Demons coach there. Our guide is Sarah Ollie from AFL.com.au. Hello to you, Sarah. Sarah, good morning. What a wild weekend of results. And as you alluded to off the top, a clarification from the AFL as to who is now in the box seat to host a grand final. It's something the AFL's never had to do because we've never seen three and four beat two and one. And on top of that, you have the Swans in eighth coming up against the Suns and rolling them in fifth. So it was an incredible weekend of results and a real statement win from the Kangaroos in more ways than one because we've been speaking ad nauseum all season about their inability to beat one of the big three. Well, not only did they beat one of the big three, they did so in devastating style. So a huge performance. From the root. Years in the making. So it felt, uh, you'll, you'll recall these things more sharply than I do, but it felt like in the year where the finals got cancelled during COVID that they were they were the, they were were in the box seat and that uh, I think it was them and Fremantle who got sawn off at the knees. And since then, they've always been up there, but never quite able to compete with, with who have been the big three. So they have beaten the Ds once before, but I think that win... The space between the two, Jared, was something like 1,700 days. So your memory serves you absolutely correct. And after the game, Darren Crocker said, you know, it's not about getting the mental monkey off the back. I think it is so because this is a statement win. And you talk about the Ds and their inability to score. I believe that's real because they've been the scoring juggernaut all year until the last two weeks. In fact, since halftime against Brisbane last week, Jared, they have scored one goal. Mm. One goal in six quarters. So something is surely up when it comes to Melbourne. All right. Well, so what are the theories? Because there, I did see a conspiracy theory yesterday come through on the text that COVID has run through Melbourne. Yeah. Um, what are the prevailing theories at the moment as to how a team that has had no trouble scoring for a long time has suddenly dried up when it really matters? So I have spoken to Melbourne this morning and they want to play down that theory, but there has been illness in the camp over the last two weeks. That might go some way in explaining part of their inability to score, but I think you've also got to give credit to the two teams they've come up against. The Lions and the Roos had ballistic pressure from go to woe, and that's something that not many sides can do. Having said that, Melbourne had no trouble scoring from rounds one to round eight, really, or round nine, I should say. So I just wonder if perhaps teams and the better teams are figuring them out and perhaps the Ds did peak too early because halfway through the season, it looks like they were surety to play in the grand final. It's going to be the long way round should they get there again. But one goal from the last six quarters that is not the profile of a premiership side. No, it does not make any sense right now. What did make sense? So the Lions over the Crows because of the venue and the finishing positions could have been cast as an upset, but it's the head-to-head record that was the tell here, wasn't it, Sarah? The Lions now have an 8-3 winning ledger over the Crows. And that just doesn't sound right to many people because you think about these two teams. They played off in the inaugural grand final. They've actually played off in two grand finals and they've won one each. 
But when it comes to the overall record, this is now a commanding win for Craig Starcevich at eight and three. And really, if you look at the stat sheet, you'd think they had no right to win because Adelaide were dominant across the ground in pretty much every facet except the one that counts. And that is on the scoreboard. And I think that sums the Lions up. They play the big moments really well. And to do it at Norwood Oval, which is an absolute fortress for the Crows, is just another massive tick for this Lions side who each year gets pillaged when it comes to uh, expansion and clubs taking some of their best players. But they just find a new player, a new rated player and a new way to win. And now they are through to a home preliminary final and one way win away from another grand final. So big props to them. Having said that, though, we have to remember the Crows. They've lost to just one team this year, and that is the Lions. And it's been by less than a goal when it comes to the combined points, just a total of five points this year. So I don't think the Crows have lost any friends. I saw Ebony Marinoff yesterday speak and she said, eh, I think we may have played a bit of a boring style of football. I'm not so sure if that was it, but they get another chance this weekend. And in something really peculiar, we're going to see the minor premiers come up against the team that finished eighth. So this is going to be on paper a pretty easy matchup for the Crows who will face the Swans. We actually haven't seen this matchup yet so a really big test for Scott Gowan's side. So, so Sydney um, they were great scenes after they'd won and eighth beats fifth and we know the, the backstory that didn't win a game in their inaugural season and here they are. So I had two thoughts yesterday. The first was Scott Gowan's coaching. It never made any sense why he got tipped out of North Melbourne in the COVID era and he with the fresh platform is just showing what a good coach he is and not, I just want to be clear about this, not, not necessarily a measure of the best player, but it feels to me like Chloe Malloy is the biggest star in the game now. Well, if you ask Scott Gowans, she is the most talented player in the AFLW, and that is something that he has thought since, I guess, Chloe first took his breath away on the field. Because you're right, if you look at the stats for Chloe, they don't really tell the tale. She is a, a moment player, a clutch player. And once again, her three-goal performance really was one of the difference makers in this match against the Suns. She really senses a moment and seizes the moment. And I, I love that vision of her uh, after kicking a goal. She said that as she was lining up, she heard someone from the crowd go, two, four, six, eight, you can't kick straight. <laughs> and she puts it straight, straight through the middle, Jared, and she just goes back to the crowd and she just gestures, two, four, six, eight, and just gives it to them. So <laughs> she's not afraid to let her footy and uh, a few other things do the talking. But you're right. Uh, when it comes to someone who rises to the occasion... I feel like we're always talking about Chloe Malloy. She is an absolute star. And one of the reasons the Swans have gone from being winless in their inaugural season to not just playing finals, but winning a final in year two, it's incredible. And Geelong's win over Essendon was set up early. Um, Just total domination, really, in the first half. How did you see the Cats? I love this from the Cats because this time last year against the Roos, they kicked one goal eight. They just could not get their kicking boots on. And from the word go, they were on. You sensed it actually from the first passage of play. Georgie Presparkas with the clearance. She finds a teammate who finds Ash Maloney. And in 20 seconds, I think it was, they're on the board. So uh, they came out with a real intensity, 
the crowd was incredible. Six and a half thousand were really getting up and, and getting behind them. And in the end, it was an only an 18-point margin, but that really flatters Essendon because the damage was done by three-quarter time. And in fact, Dan Lauber had a few players, including Press Parkus, resting on the bench pretty early in that fourth term. So this was a really great win for the Cats. Um, they're going to probably find it a little bit tough next week. But I loved what I saw from players like Ash Maloney, who in her first season of AFLW was best on ground. She's from Tipperary, was only signed in March. So this is her first season of AFLW and just another one of these Irish imports that continues to star. The only downside for the Cats, Jared, is that Chloe Shear, uh, she's got an injured collarbone. Now, fears have been allayed because they thought that it was broken. It's just a hairline fracture. So she won't feature this weekend, but should the Cats progress further into the final, she is a sneaky chance to come back in. And props to Essendon. This was their first finals hit out in their second season of AFLW. Just not good enough, but I think a big tick for them moving forward as well. And the Meg McDonald backstory. So she'd had a, a family tragedy in the lead up to the game. Yeah, her father passed away quite suddenly and she didn't really want uh, to speak too much about it. But I just thought what a great effort in a really trying week to captain her side uh, into that final and into another one. And she played on Bonnie Too Good and they had a great battle throughout the day. So condolences to the McDonald family. Okay, so the, the semi-finals, so Melbourne and Geelong, um, what risk the indignity of, of the women joining the men as straight sets huh. abs ex- exits yeah, well, from final series? It's a big risk. I just can't see it, though. I mean, they met in round five, these two sides, and the Ds beat them by 49 points. But we're also talking about a different-looking D side back then when they were having no trouble scoring but I always get too sucked into these winners from the first week of finals uh, and the losers I expect the D's to bounce back and with the other matchup the Crows and the Swans um, I hope it's not a bloodbath is all I'm going to say because I think the Crows may come out breathing absolute fire at Norwood Oval so that's going to be a massive challenge for the Swans but they've taken this mantra into the final series of why not us and they're going to play with nothing to lose and absolute freedom. So hopefully two close finals, but I'd expect the Crows and the Ds, Jared, to bounce back. Yeah, the, the chasm that, that exists between the top four and the rest, I, I guess that will get tested. And if they were lopsided games, you wouldn't be surprised as that's sort of inherent in the competition at the moment. So the AFL's had to adjust its seedings. Sarah, it's only fair that I give you the chance to adjust yours as well. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Oh, I am turning my seedings on their head, Jared. Um, in number four, I've got Melbourne. I can't have them anywhere else but in that fourth spot. In third, but I'd say the gap between four and third is huge. I've got the Crows. Up into the Ruse and the Lions for me in number one because the Lions have found a way to beat all the best sides this year. They got it done again. They'll have the week off to rest and then a home preliminary final. So they're my number one seed. Just a question without notice. If North Melbourne did win hosting rights of the grand final, where where might it be played, do you think? It'll be played at Icon Park. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um 
And uh, yeah, it's a, f- a bit of a fantasy that Melbourne could end up hosting. So uh, either Springfield for Brisbane, Icon Park for North, or they'd go to Adelaide Oval with the Crows, wouldn't they? Or were they? Would, oh, they still might it, have access cricket. Oval. Yeah, yeah, yeah no Norwood cricket Oval. access. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yep. Um, and the coaches' association are seeing things the way you're seeing things in their Player of the Year. That was uh, that was heartening for what's to come. It was very heartening, wasn't it? But that hasn't been the issue with Jasmine Garner. The coaches have loved her for for quite a while now. The uh, the true test will be on best and fairest night. Jared, to see if she has been noticed. We've been asking for that attention for Jazzy. Garner the attention for Jazzy. Let's hope on best and fairest night she gets some early votes because that will be <laughs> the tell-all. <laughs> and the last one, Sarah, what what did we think of the crowds at the first weekend of finals? Did they match the drama? Well, I was at GMHBA Stadium and there were 6,500 there and they were making... So much noise, Jared. The only thing I would say about that is you couldn't see it on the broadcast yes, because yes. the cameras are on the wrong side. And I think that is something that we need to get right because I was speaking to a friend before and she said it's like when you walk past an empty restaurant and you don't really want to go in because you don't think it's that good. And if you turn on the TV and you can't see people there, well, maybe you're not as inclined to watch it. But no, I thought the crowds overall were really good for the first week of finals. We need people to keep showing support with their feet, Jared, because we know we've now got these metrics in place. If we want to get the season longer, we need more people watching and more bums on seats. So I'd encourage everyone to get to Norwood Oval and Icon Park this weekend. The the drama of it all was well worthy of good crowds. Sarah, thank you. Enjoy the semi finals. We'll talk again next week. Thanks, Jared. Bye. Sarah Ollie, afl.com.au. AFLW chats are for MEGT. Women in trades, advance your workforce with female tradie power. Visit megt.com.au. I'll share some of your messages shortly. The 40 Winks temper text 0433 98 11 16. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks serious about sleep. And in our game of where in the world is Blanksy, it turns out he's in Melbourne. So Brad Blanks is going to come and join me in the studio as we play at the intersection of sport and pop culture. Melbourne's weather, possible light shower, a top of 17 for city power, supplying power to homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. Now, back to Waitley. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So the translation there is... Karma is the guy on the Chiefs. So that's Taylor Swift singing for Travis Kelsey and the instant recognition of Swifties at the concert. This is the sharpest collision we've ever seen of sport and pop culture. And at that intersection lives Brad Blanks. And in our game of Where in the World is Blanksy, he's here in the studio in Melbourne. Blanksy, it's lovely to oh, see you. Oh, Jared, great to see you. Yes, I'm, uh, I fly out tonight but back to the States, but... Geez, that Taylor. Look, Taylor Swift, it comes in waves, doesn't it? It keeps coming at you. When, just when you think you're over and we thought we'd have some peace, he actually goes to Buenos Aires in Argentina. Like, what coach lets their star player fly to a, another country? And, and he goes down there and there was love on his face when he ran off stage into his arms. And I'm like, I, I find it disgusting. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, don't. I hope those Swifties are hearing this, um, you know, especially Hutchie. Hutchie loves this relationship. I'm about cooked on it. Uh, but the, 
he, 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 it seems like it's really going to happen. She's right there, maybe the musical chairs, and it's just going to stop after the tour, and they're just going to have a family of tight ends. <laughs> <laughs> well, what has anyone run the dates on if the Chiefs make the Super Bowl in Vegas? Where in the world is Taylor Swift? Uh, yeah, well, that's what I mean. That's going to be very intense because she'll have to be on a plane on the Monday to be down here the following weekend because I think. Uh, the concert start the 18th of February here yeah, in Australia. Yeah, right. Yeah, so so that's a quick turnaround. It should be on your flight, Jared. I'm sharing a flight yeah, yeah, on yeah, the way yeah, home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, you and I are sitting next to each other, you know, chatting away. That'd be a good flight, wouldn't it? That's you, funny. So yeah. what is the breakdown of <laughs> resistance and resentment to this? And it's just good fun. It's good fun, isn't it? Yeah, you know, early on in the piece, the old uh, brigade of sports reporters like um, uh, Mad Dog Russo, who you know has his own channel on Sirius XM, and he does first take with St- uh, Stephen A. Uh, every Wednesday, uh, he was disgusted straight out of the blocks. He yeah. thought this is a, this is a sideshow we don't need in NFL. It's and, an intrusion. Yeah, it's, it's an invasion. And he, it's his, an imposition. Yeah, if you can see his rant online, it was fantastic, and he was very he's very theatrical as a radio and TV performer, uh, but he. He just thought this is there's no place for this, and uh, the Swifties came for him, the fans. And then over the next few weeks, people seemed to enjoy it. And obviously, the networks loved it. You know, when they were teed up, the sun, you know, they made the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and the uh, you know, against the New York Jets was you know it was record numbers for a regular season game historically. It was unbelievable numbers in ratings. And, you know, they, they would have teed up with her camp how many times they were going to put the camera on her during the thing. The, the big thing on that, when I think we mentioned it, um, was when <laughs> the sixth person in her posse was Wolverine, Hugh Jackman. Has, when has Hugh Jackman been demoted on, on a power ranking of celebrity, you know, walking into a football it was as if he was carrying her bag. <laughs> I was like, come on, you. Don't become part of this posse, you know, um, but yeah, it's a, it's been huge for marketing, huge for the NFL. They they've wanted the crossover, and maybe you have young girls now watching the football with their fathers because mostly a Taylor Swift concert is filled with fathers outside the stadium who, uh, you know, uh, you know, having a night as rest before they watch the NFL the following day. So maybe they can get some combination there of uh, girls enjoying football now. But other than that, I, I'm. I'm getting uh, – uh, look, when I saw that embrace in Buenos Aires, maybe they really are into each other, but it's uh, – Oh, they're in love, please. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a real romantic, so I got sent uh, some proper metrics <laughs> right. around – so there was a debate in the US as to whether the uh, – how much of the TV – whether there was a bump in TV ratings for NFL games yep. that Taylor Swift was known to be present at. Right. And the pushback was, well, these are the highest rating – Shows on television, anyway, NFL, anyway, yep. yeah. And then there were metrics done. It was undeniable. There was an undeniable yeah. bounce of Swifties watching the NFL. That's yeah, yeah, for sure, definitely. And that was that was so huge. Funny. The uh, the great conspiracy theory when uh, Travis Kelsey's mother went on the Today Show a few weeks ago, and she was cold the whole way through. So everyone was like, "Does she actually like Taylor Swift? Does she?" But I think she was just scared to drop gossip there. So. I think it could be on, you know, um, let, yeah, it's, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a wild year ahead for the Kelsey uh, Swift thing, but he's got to perform now. He's got to, they've got to win a Super Bowl, you know, yeah, or yeah. she will be blamed. Um, <laughs> she will be blamed. I love that. Yeah, yeah. So if, if Kane was in the NFL and he'd seen oh, what would he Travis say? Kelsey in the bye week going to Buenos yeah. Aires, oh, yeah. look out. Yeah. And 
<laughs> Rich, Tony, don't take it all too seriously. Tay Tay has her own private jet. Not sure she's on a commercial plane. No, no, we get that. It's, just, it's all fun. It's all, all fun. fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, Blanks is in the studio. Uh, let's just check in with Nathan in the newsroom. Brad Blanks is in the studio. Blanksy, the last time we spoke, you were coming from. You were going to be coming from the Breeders' Cup to the Melbourne Cup Carnival, and then we corresponded. Whose row were you sitting yeah, in on that flight? I was sitting in the – I called that flight. I saw him too uh, a couple of days before the flight at the Breeders' Cup, Frankie Dettori, and I said, mate, I'm going to be on your plane, the Dettori flight, which obviously only happens every six years, you know, the flight where all the jockeys from the Breeders' Cup, you know, him and Ryan Moore and it was Holly Doyle and Tom Marquand were all on the Dettori flight, and I was luckily enough seated next to Dettori's wife, and he was on the other side. He's, you know, he didn't really want a, too much of a chat with me. I was trying to be jovial and happy. No, head down he was. <laughs> and at the end, had a quick chat chat away. And he's, um, you know, I don't know if I'm breaking news or anything here, but he's going into the jungle. He's uh, in the British version of uh, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Right. So um, he'll be a bit of a hit on that. because That guy just knows how to turn it on when the cameras are on him. So um, he was coming here to party during the week, he, he, his wife said, uh, and then they're up in Hamilton Island for a couple of days and they go into the jungle from where from wherever that location is up there. So what, how – so Messi goes and plays in the uh, American yeah, Soccer League. That's right, yep. Dottori goes and rides on the American racing circuit. That's right. How big a – celebrity exercise will this be as well as a sporting exercise? He's done it before and because racing so split provincially there, it, it won't have a it, it won't become national attention. Okay. It'll just be in Santa Anita Racecourse. He's gonna be in the sunshine in Los Angeles and you know it in some ways it's a perfect twilight for his career, even though it was meant to be a hard out after I think the Melbourne Cup was going to be a hard out for him. But you know, uh, he'll go down there and he might extend that for a year and he's still talking about coming back to Royal Ascot, and which means he could come back to Melbourne next year again. Uh, definitely still in form. You know, in October, he's riding Group 1 winners uh, in the UK. So, uh, But not a big public relations uh, act but by any means. How does the Breeders' Cup compare to... To the Melbourne Cup, uh, Breeders' Cup, I say it's all business. It's a right. it's a business event. You know, there's still the fun and the great, and you know you're watching the best horses. And but at Santa Anita, it was yeah, you, know, you get your odd celebrities. I, I I walked past Aaron Rodgers, said a few words to him as he was walking up a staircase. I was walking down. He stumbled when he turned to say, "Oh, you come back to me for what are we exchanging?" And I went, "Geez, I hope I don't pull his Achilles that's on the men there for the for the New York Jets." But uh, a few celebrity thing, but nothing like the the Melbourne Cup Carnival. There are uh, hardcore gamblers, uh, but as I said, every uh, race is the grand final yeah. of a whole year, and it's so it's the the best in the division in the Northern Hemisphere, and uh, it, it's it, it's a phenomenal event, fantastic event if you love your pure just uh, hardcore racing. The recovery of Aaron Rodgers from the torn Achilles. So there are two schools of thought here. One is that he's such a peculiar figure <laughs> yes. that maybe he can defy yeah. all sense in medicine and get back and play this season. And the second is that this is never going to happen. Why are we getting weekly updates about it? Which school are you in? I'm on him defying it. Yeah, because nah. he's so crazy. And it's off the back of these weekly updates. When have we ever had weekly updates on a major injury due to the fact that he's on the McAfee show once a week and he gets asked every week the same. And they've obviously got a good relationship there and he's very open to to a fault in some ways. Like, just keep a few things to yourself, Aaron. Uh, uh, but he'll come out and he'll, he'll give an update there and he's, he's into that. Well, it, most athletes are into a positive mindset. He's into some spiritual mindset that's on some different – 
level, yep. you know, aided by hallucinogenics and things like that, you know, that he that, that he's talked about in the past. Um, so let's see, you know, in the brief moment I saw him, he seems to be quite an open guy and enjoys living in New York City. He's in, he goes to all the fancy clubs there that aren't, you know, wild, but, you know, so he's, he's absorbing the city and he's got a beautiful mansion there in New Jersey that he bought. Uh, so let's see, you know, he's going to have the best people around him and he's, but his mindset, it's, uh, it's something he wants to do it. He wants to be back. And, you know, the Jets screwed that game up the other day with, um, you know, Zach Wilson, the most hated quarterback New York's probably ever seen, you know, by Jets fans. Has, even though Aaron Rodgers has only played 15 seconds, has... (laughs) New York taking him on as one of their own. Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah, yeah. This is he's the they need a savior. The the Jets. Yeah, it's you know the they're, they're running around. They, they at the beginning of the season, everyone thought they was crazy. They were crazy when they thought Aaron Rodgers could take them to a Super Bowl. Now they've proven that their defense is very good, um, and that there is a massive problem with they haven't scored a, a eight games. They haven't scored a touchdown. Right, an offensive, an offensive touchdown, uh, and so they think if they could slot him in there. They're at least going to be double better because their defense has kept kept them in every game and won them games. So um, there is hope there for for Jets fans, but they're they're a beaten bunch. They're a beaten. Yeah, you know, can you I, pick I, Jets yeah. fans in the streets? Oh yeah, you can. Right. Yeah, yeah, they're they're they're, they're solemn. Yeah, you know, which is funny because the Giants are in the same boat at the moment, but they've had of course the two Super Bowls in the last. 13 years, 14 years. So uh, they're a little bit happier. That house money's running out as well with the New York Giants. They've got a guy that was a star high school player from New Jersey as their quarterback who came up off the – his name's Tommy DeVito – yeah, you know, so um, it's, every joke in the world yes, is in play. With that's the right, they the have. Moment. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a funny state in New York football, and it shouldn't be happening when they're two of the most famous franchises. Brad Blanks is in the studio. I've got a little NBA for you. I also want to ask you about the resolution of the writers' strike in Hollywood. So presumably that's why you're on the plane because the red carpet circuit yeah, is about that's to right. resume. <laughs> this is Waitley for the all new Hyundai Kona. Imagined it to be bold and host plus. Now back to Waitley. You're the point guard. You were holding the reins. And what did you do when you had the reins? You scored nine points in game seven against Boston. You blew a 3-2 series lead. So they co- they fired their coach. Not good enough. You broke up with your guy believing you again. You said, the bright lights of L.A., that's where I want to go. Let's see if that works. Listen, James, have you ever had those friends who had bad roommates? Over and over they complained about their bad roommates. This guy's terrible. The bad roommate here. They never thought to be self-aware enough that they're the bad roommate. They're the problem. Hey, James, you're the problem. It's one of the wow. best critiques that we've seen in the sporting world. Brian DeMaris and his takedown of James Harden. Wonderful, wasn't it? Jeez. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a wild two weeks watching that. And you can't b- believe that the owner of the Clippers, Steve Barmer, you know, he's worth $103 billion, Microsoft money, and, he, and he's, he's agreed to this. Like, his whole career was adjudicating talent and knowledge and engineers and can't you see it to the naked eye what Harden Harden's an issue in every team he's gone to? Yeah, he, he has no self awareness no, either. None. So his his when he stayed, I I'm not a system player. I am <laughs> a system. Just, come on, yeah. And you're going over to Kawhi, who you know that season he had up at Toronto was one of the best individual performances ever to to take them from nothing to a title. You know. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, a fascinating rollout that people can continually throw money at a guy like this. <laughs> so I did like the 
Brian got to the point of you'll, you'll go back and swipe right and there'll be no more teams no, that's for right. you. But yeah, there's always yeah. been a buyer for Harden, which is a curiosity. Hey, so you're about to head back. Um, the strike, the writer's strike. An, an actor's strike. An act, yes. Yep. So it had shut everything down everything. regarding Hollywood. So no yep. premieres, no red carpet. There's a whole lot of stuff that got delayed because you couldn't do publicity around it. What, yep. what has those months been like? Uh, they roll out uh, producers and directors for, for interviews. So in terms of that whole ecosystem of you know promoting a movie, which is quite important, uh, which then leads on to Oscar nominations and awards and but more more importantly, box office uh, completely shut down. No no promotion of movies uh, over the last five six five to six months. So what happens now is everyone, all the publicists and managers and agents, are about to unleash um, the, their talent. So and and then these events are put on. You know they're they're a bit you know cr- crazy these red carpets and whatever. But they're events designed for the executives to come in, sponsors to come in, people that finance the movies to get photos of movie stars. It's a movie star world. Everyone yeah. wants to be next to a Margot Robbie or a you know a a, a Denzel Washington and and that's what they're designed for and and they will be swarming back. Every night in New York City will be a premiere for television, you know, streaming premieres are now just as big as movie premieres. So so you, and your core is is sport and red carpet. That's right, correct. Yeah. So I I go out there, I'm not your normal red carpet reporter. You know, um I'm more trying to have a pub chat out there and I try to turn my little do the people know that I'm trying to turn my chat into a, like a 2-minute talk show interview and hopefully get a laugh and have a bit of fun with the person um I'm chatting to. Uh, but that's what I'll be launching into when I when I return when I land there Wednesday. So what's on your radar? Um, well, the big one it, we, we're heading into Thanksgiving. That was a lot of the problem. They wanted to get this sort of before Thanksgiving because n- historically the period between Thanksgiving, which is the yeah, 25th of November through to Christmas, is when all the Oscar movies come out, and of course now streaming when they pump up the streaming uh, Netflix and whatever, get the, the TV shows out because so people can watch them over the holidays. Uh, so it'll kick off a couple of days, like the 26th of November. The first one off the off, off will be the Gotham Independent Spirit Awards, which used to be a small little show but has now turned into uh, one of the big tentpole events for the Oscars. So the Oscars is like running for office or like a Super Bowl. You have to win playoff games along the way to gather momentum. Yeah. Uh, and so it really has turned into a like a sporting e- event, uh, the Oscars. And this first one will kick off from New York, which has a bit of sway as the votes go leading up to the big night in early March. What are the movies on the radar? Uh, well, the the one that just came out over the weekend, uh, The Killer, which is David Fincher, which is on Netflix. Oh, yep. Yeah, very good film if you like a uh, you know, one of you know, typical Fincher, you know, in the vein of seven, you know, like this is uh, into the mind of a, 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 an assassin and it's slow moving but very well done if you love Fincher's uh, movies. The big chat will be if, if uh, Barbie can get any sort of nomination for an Oscar, which it had enough box office that sometimes one of those, one box office film they squeeze into and uh, it might get some support on, on that. But, uh, uh, yeah, they'd be the ones that we'd be looking at now and then, They'll start. Yeah, you know, there's been a suppression of knowing even what the good Oscar movies are sure. going into this period. But but they, we will know about them in two weeks' time. All right. So life in New York. Do do you go and see Billy Joel? Uh, yeah, I do. I've, I've seen him four times, yep. and I even so bought... this is once a month that matters. Yeah, Square yeah, yeah. Right? I, I I mean, it's like going. It's like going down to the local your local you know uh, RSL club with the uh, with the local piano player when you live in Manhattan. So. 
Yeah, I've, I've seen him four times and uh, I've bought tickets for one of his concerts, not the final one next year. But I, I really love when mates of mine come over just to see Billy Joel from from you know Melbourne. They fly in and yeah. they'll go, and it's a, a huge moment to see Billy Joel live. I mean, it's it's a beautiful yeah, beautiful thing, and he brings out a, a massive star who'll come out and play with him on the stage, and they'll do something together. And uh, but but he's he's a legend. What a thing he's created there in, in the middle of New York City. When I was going Phoenix to Delhi, I had the <laughs> overnight in New York, and it was the night before <laughs> Billy Joel. Oh. If it had been, but yeah. the flight was delayed, oh. so I would have largely missed it. If if it had panned out that oh. I that was the night, yeah, but, the flight was delayed, yeah, and I would have missed. That's it a anyway. Billy Joel song, yeah. Phoenix to Delhi. <laughs> <laughs> um, leave me with something. So the Jack Jack Reacher. So there's a lot of people who will love the books. Yeah, they made movies. Tom Cruise hopelessly miscast. Not that they no, were no, bad that, movies, just yeah. awful piece of casting yeah. because yes. Jack Reacher is this right. giant figure. Yeah, and then they made the Amazon series yeah. where they nailed it. The, oh my yeah. word! Did they, they nail they the character? Like, <laughs> um, I watched that. I binged that probably last year's Super Bowl. I think you're, yeah, you're on the way to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Is the second series coming? Yeah, it comes out December 15th. I think it's on Amazon Prime. I don't know what they put it on here, uh, but fantastic show. I mean, the, the trailer, if you get a chance to watch it, is like watching a two-minute movie. He has one-liners, he has comedy, and uh, just but, – but it's violent. If, I mean, if it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's sort yeah. of that cartoon violence. violence exactly. He's yeah. so big, there's, yeah. there's a level of absurdity to That's it. That's right, yeah. But I thought it was excellent. Excellent show. Yeah, yeah. So the trailer's out. Trailer's out and it's got everything you want in a trailer. And and this show's going to be phenomenal. Blanksy, it's great to catch up. Yeah, great to see you, Jared. So I will see you next in Vegas. We will see each other in Vegas. What a time. And we we can't even pick who's going to be in this Super Bowl. No, no. Usually we have a rough idea of some of the teams this season. Fascinating. I've never been to Vegas. Will you look after? Yeah, I'll look after, but I'm on the straight Actually, and narrow. Actually, you're too. the right one to ask no, I am to look the, after mate, me in Vegas. I am now on the straight and narrow, so I'll look after you there. I know yeah. our travelling crew, and yeah, I'm not I'll, sure any of them are safe. No, no, no. <laughs> so I need someone to chaperone I will chaperone I've got you. i to find Brian yes. Curtis. I feel like yes. he and I He'd are probably, good for you. We're, yes. we're just yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. know what yeah. to avoid. No, I know what to avoid. know what to take in as well. No, no, no. But it's going to be fun. Wow. Vegas Super Bowl. That's like a coming, and we've got the Grand Prix this uh, weekend. Oh, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've yep. seen the images in of Vegas. that taking shape. Yeah, it's it looks absolutely spectacular. Yeah, just to watch that on. I, I'm not going to. I'm going to uh, Georgia, Tennessee this Saturday. So I, I still like my college football, and you know, um, <laughs> so people go, "Why are you going to the Grand Prix?" I said, "No, no, I want to get amongst the hundred thousand orange wearing animals that'll tear right. down the field goals after they win." <laughs> you know, <laughs> thanks. It's yeah. nice to yeah. see. You. Thanks, Jerry. I'll talk to you in New York. Yes. I'll see you in Vegas. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Brad Blanksy in the studio. Melbourne's home of the ultimate celebration, the Osmond Rooftop and Bar, Commercial Road, South Yarra. Now, back to Waitley. And the cafe menu today, I feel like the war stories of Malcolm Speed are certainly worth a second listen. The, the detail in there, my goodness. It's on the podcast, McCafe, our official coffee partner. Hello, Julian DeStoop. Just saying, Jared, those that West Indies World Cup. Oh, I knew there was some off-field drama, but goodness me. Yeah. Unbelievable. I've read Malcolm's book. Yeah. Is, is great episodes in there. But just to hear him tell those stories and and the refusal to take DNA tests and, oh, my goodness. My goodness. Unbelievable. Where are you taking uh, us well, from the, fir- the first of four-year players are back. So I want to know from your club, not which one you expect to spike in 2024, but which one you need to spike in 2024 for your team to improve. So it's only first of four-year players. And also, just a bit of fun, what stories that we report on in the off-season are really non-stories? Which, what's what's really got your hackles up? 
Yeah, and what what it doesn't actually mean anything, but we report on it in the off yep. season. Uh, anyway, Bulldogs fans, I'm keen to hear. I know you spoke about it off the top. I, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on this external review. Like it, don't like it. Uh, what are your thoughts? We're going to get across to uh, India with Barat Sandarace and Simon Hill to talk some football and Hatchard to talk some AFLW and hopefully Justin Rodsky as well to speak some storm. Yeah, we want so Barat to give us the cyclone update. Yes, absolutely. I've got, um, unbelievable. We're all the same. We all search around apps and websites to find the one that most suits our circumstance. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> so you found a good one for Mark, us. Great. I, I've loved the set of the uh, texts that we've got during the day. I know where to look. All right, Jules, grab a line. Join Midday Madness now. Uh, Andrew McDonald is going to join me tomorrow, the Australian coach, in preparation for the semi.